Amen. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Kynan, for creating this beautiful environment for us to gather as a people and worship together. My name is Barb. For those of you who don't know me, I'm part of prayer team, an online church team here at Hope Valley. I have the privilege of bringing you the word this morning. It's good to see you all. Dave mentioned in his prayer that God wants to grow us and grow more into us. And this morning, I'm going to be speaking a little bit about the character that God grows in us. And we've been trekking through the mountains over the last nine weeks. And we've trekked nine life lessons, discovered nine secrets to give us some hacks, some life hacks and tools to help us through life's mountains. And today we're going to conclude our series on secrets from the mountain. And I get to share the last secret with you, and that's character. So the title of my message today is Character Flows and Grows from the Heart. And we're going to see the role of character in carrying us up the mountains that we face, back down the other side successfully, and we're going to see how the character we gain from one mountain helps to carry us through the next mountain. And we're going to crack open this secret today by taking a look at some of the character traits of the prophet Daniel and what he exemplified in his life. We're going to see how Daniel's character not only gave him great success in a worldly sense, but his character was such that God trusted him with some of the most important and significant work in the later parts of his life. Now, there's a lot that we could explore about Daniel and his life, but I've chosen just a couple of mountains that Daniel faced that showcase his character. So let's have a look at mountain one. Mountain one is, I've called captivity and exile. And we pick up the story of Daniel in chapter one, where he's a teenager and he's growing up in Judah. And it's at the time when Judah falls to Babylon. And Daniel is taken captive and he's exiled to Babylon by the most powerful king of the day, King Nebuchadnezzar. On arrival into Babylon, Daniel's placed into a three-year training program to be taught everything Babylonian, the language, the culture, the systems of government. Pretty much they want him to forget who he was and where he came from and they want him to become part of the culture. This was a strategy that King Nebuchadnezzar used. It was advantageous to him because he would train up all his all the finest and the best of the captives he'd taken from the kingdoms he invaded and he would put them to work in his kingdom to strengthen it. Part of this program too is Daniel's given a new name. His name's Belshazzar after one of the chief Babylonian gods. So this young boy is now carrying a constant reminder that he was a captive to an idol-worshipping king. As you read through the book of Daniel, nowhere is there any mention of his family We can only speculate that perhaps they were separated, maybe they fled, perhaps they were killed, but it's apparently they weren't with him. This is one giant mountain that Daniel has before him. Teenage boy in a foreign land, prisoner, no family, renamed after a pagan god, having to learn everything about Babylon so that he could serve an extremely powerful, ruthless, idol-worshipping king. And it's in this environment that we see the first and most significant character quality of Daniel, Daniel's faith in God. 
I believe that this is the character trait that's the most critical and essential and it sets the foundation for all other good and godly character to flow. Let's have a read of Daniel chapter 1, picking up in verse 5. The king assigned Daniel and the group a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years and after that they were to enter the king's service. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine and he asked the, king, the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. The allocation of food and wine from the king's table was an extreme privilege for most, to be nourished with the best and the finest. But for Daniel it was a point of compromise because this food had been sacrificed to idols and Daniel wanted no part of it. So of all of the life-altering changes that Daniel was being subject to as a captive, the one thing that he would not do was to do wrong by God by eating food that had been sacrificed to idols. So Daniel lays it all out to his captors. He says, I'll do all of these things that you want me to do. I'll learn, I'll work, but there's one thing. I won't do wrong by God. Very clearly, Daniel puts himself out there. Unfortunately for Daniel, the chief official denied his request. He was too fearful of losing his own head. But that resolve of Daniel not to defile himself, his heart, his integrity, wouldn't allow him to back away from his desire to do right and be right with God. So he tries again. In verse 12, he says to another guard, the one in charge of him, he says, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food. And then treat us, your servants, in accordance with what you see. So the guard agreed and at the end of the days, the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine and he gave them vegetables instead. Daniel's decision not to defile himself is a defining moment in his life. It's that moment when he declares before God that I'm going to stand true and he declares it publicly. He identifies himself to those around him as a follower of God. In this defining moment, he sets himself apart so that God can step in and start to work. What's the result? Daniel is successful. He's granted permission to partake in a diet that kept him right before God. I find it extremely remarkable that Daniel and his friends, 14 boys, are prepared to opt for vegetables and water rather than the fine foods from the king's table. I grew up with two brothers through their teen years and I can assure you vegetables and water was not what they were looking for at mealtime, at snack time and any time in between. Because at the end of the day, the food that was coming off the king's table wasn't actually going to hurt Daniel or his friends, but it was what it represented that was going to have impact. And as I thought about that and his decision, his resolve, I began to think of these vegetable and water situations that our culture represents, our culture presents. We're so blessed here in Australia with incredible freedoms, but we're also faced daily with 
potential points of compromise, lots of vegetable and water moments. From simple things, the language we use or we don't use at work and in our social circles, the TV or the content that we choose to stream, to binge watch on, the content that's culturally popular and everyone's chatting about it around the coffee station, but it pushes moral boundaries. The political moves, the laws, some blatant, some more subtle, that wage against the word of God. Or is there something bigger in your life that you need to make that vegetable and water decision? What do we do? What do we do with it all? This is where we need to be like Daniel, where his primary character trait of being right with God drove his decisions. Our character influences our decisions. How are we going in this culture with our vegetable and water moments? Going back to Daniel, what was the outcome of his resolve? Well, he was released from the requirement. He didn't have to eat the king's food. It identified and it marked him as a young man of integrity who followed the God of Israel, him and his three friends. And it opened him up for God to protect him, plus God blessed him and his friends with favour. As we um, read verse 17 of chapter 1, to these four young men God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. They need that right now because they're having a three-year program of being retrained and reprogrammed. And for Daniel, Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Hang on to that one because we're going to see how these come into play in the next mountain. So these young boys are presented to the king at the end of the three-year program. And in verse 19, it says, The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel and his friends. So they entered the king's service. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned him, he found them ten times better than all of the magicians and charmers in his whole kingdom. From an earthly sense, things are working out for Daniel as an exile and a captive, he's ended up in the best position he could have hoped for. He's working in the king's service with his three friends and they've all made this impression upon the king that the king's found none equal to them. And it all happened because of Daniel's resolve in his heart, his vegetable and water defining moment. We're going to see this come into play again on Mountain 2. Mountain two, poor Daniel, I have called the death sentence. Daniel's second mountain comes about because the king is having dreams and dreams that disturb the king. Nebuchadnezzar's troubled in his spirit and he doesn't have any peace. If you combine the most powerful man on the earth with a troubled spirit, you've got a character disaster waiting to unravel. So in the quest to settle himself, to find some peace, Nebuchadnezzar summons all of the wise people of Babylon to him, all of the enchanters, the magicians, the sorcerers, the astrologers, and he demands them that they tell him what he dreamt. And if they don't, he'll have them cut into pieces. The magicians and the enchanters, they plead with the king. This is impossible because it is impossible for man. No one can tell what another man has dreamt. But the king isn't interested. He doesn't care. He is suspicious of their motives. And he's so enraged by their perceived failure that he issues a decree that all the wise men of Babylon are to be executed. 
This decree includes Daniel and it includes his friends. In this story, we can clearly see the difference in the character that pours out from a heart that's anchored in God, like Daniel, and the heart that is not. Nebuchadnezzar is disturbed and he's rattled. He's got no peace. His heart is formed on self-reliance, using his power and his might and his wealth to make those around him do whatever he wants. And when this fails, what's he got? He's got nothing. What flows from this heart is suspicion, rage, merciless action, irrational requests and pure evil in the decree of execution. So the story goes that the king's guard went to round up all the wise men to kill them. And when Daniel comes face to face with the guard, we see more aspects of his character come to life. We read what happens in chapter 2, verse 14. Daniel spoke to the guard with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? And the guard explains to Daniel what's going on. And at this, Daniel went into the king and he asked for time so that he could interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house. He explained the matter to his friends. He urged them to plead for mercy from God. And he asked them to pray that God would reveal this mystery to them so that they wouldn't be killed along with all the rest of the wise men of Babylon. You see the character traits that are flowing from a heart that's anchored in God here in Daniel? He speaks with wisdom and tact. He has influence. He had enough influence that he had the ear of the guard that was over him. And he also had enough influence that he was given an audience with the king. Yes, this is self-preservation, but I also think that Daniel had the bigger picture in mind here. He's taking responsibility for his own life. He's taking responsibilities for his friends' lives and he's taking responsibility for the lives of all of the wise men. He doesn't just sit back and let this decree take its course. He acts. He puts himself out there and he's granted a reprieve. Now the guy's got to deliver. So what does he do? Well, Daniel defaults back to his foundational character trait, his faith. He returns home, gathers his friends, the other believers, and he says, pray. Pray with earnest that God's going to reveal this mystery. Now, you remember on the first mountain when Daniel had come back down the other side of that mountain, that resolve not to defile himself, God gave him a gift. And that gift was that he would um, be able to interpret dreams and visions During the night, God revealed the mystery of Nebuchadnezzar's dream to Daniel and its meaning. And the first thing that Daniel does is he prays God. You can read a beautiful prayer in uh, verse 20 to 23, Daniel's prayer to God. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He reveals deep and hidden things. He praises God because you've made known to us the dream of the king. So there's this immediate humility that Daniel displays. He brings God praise and honour and then he gets back to work and he goes in to see the king. 
And the first thing that he does to the king, he makes it explicitly clear that there's no, there's no man on earth who can tell you what you dream, dreamt, King Nebuchadnezzar, but God can. And there's nothing special about me, but God has chosen to share the mystery with me. He, he's given away this mystery because he wants Nebuchadnezzar to know and understand what is to come. And I think we see a really fascinating glimpse of God's character in this scenario because Nebuchadnezzar has been given a revelation about the future. Why would God do that? Why would God want to show an idol-worshipping king what's going to happen in the future? Well, one, he's trying to get his attention. He wants to show Nebuchadnezzar that, yes, you are king and I've put you there, but I'm God. And two, I'd like to suggest that he's appealing to Nebuchadnezzar with the same invitation that he offers all people to come and surrender our hearts, his hearts to God. He doesn't want Nebuchadnezzar to be lost either. This is our God, our God who invites all to come to him. So Daniel tells the king what he has dreamed. He interprets the dream for the king and the king just falls before him. And he acknowledges that Daniel's God surely is the God of gods. Again, this humility is playing out. Daniel just deflects all of the praise straight back to God. And he acknowledges that God alone has revealed the mystery. Because Daniel's all about, he's not about self-promotion. He's all about God promotion and it's flowing from his heart, that heart of faith, the heart of humility and the heart of integrity. This story ends in chapter 2 with um, Nebuchadnezzar promotes Daniel and he's promoted to rule over the entire province of Babylon. And he also places him in charge of all of the wise men, the same men, the enchanters, the magicians, that moments earlier, earlier were to be executed. Yet Daniel, a man of faith, integrity, prayerfulness, humility, maturity, responsibility, influence and courage. This is Daniel. I'd say that these men, these wise men are in good hands with Daniel. What I notice as I continue to read through the book of Daniel is that life's mountains for Daniel just keep on coming. They don't stop. And in each of the mountains that Daniel scales, God gives him something and he's equipping and he's growing the character within. It's really evident that he's getting him ready for the next thing that he's going to face. I'm going to fast forward about 60 years into Daniel's life and see how he is doing, how he is faring through his captivity and exile. So we're going to leave those teen years, those early 20s behind, and we're going to now see what's happening with Daniel in his 80s. Daniel chapter 6, we read this account about Daniel. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the officials by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. It's a pretty good rap, wouldn't you agree? 60 years later, Daniel has remained successful. In the time that has passed, kings and kingdoms have passed too. Nebuchadnezzar has passed away. Nebuchadnezzar's successor, he was slain and another king came in 
And Daniel survived it all. And he's still right up there in the senior ranking officials. So a senior ranking official. He's thrived. And he's thrived because he's been carried through by his character. And he's about to be appointed over the entire kingdom. Do you know what happened, though? Found himself in a den of hungry lions. This is mountain two all over again. It's another death sentence. Now, many of us who grew up in Sunday school know the story of Daniel and in the lion's den. When the other high-ranking officials heard that he was going to be promoted, they set out to discredit him. Problem was, they couldn't find anything. Verse 6, it says, The administrators and the officials tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption. There was nothing in him because he was trustworthy. They could neither find any negligence or corruption. And finally, these men says, we're not going to find anything, any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So with no legitimate grounds to accuse Daniel, they conspire and they plot to trap him. And they proceed to flatter the king into um, making a decree that the only person you can pray to is the king. If anyone prays to anybody else, any other god, any other person, any other item, you're going to the lion's den. It was a decree of execution once again. Now, Daniel, he would know the severity of this. He knows what a king's decree means. This is serious. When he hears of it, what's the first thing he does? Like Daniel, he goes to his room, like he always does, and he gets down on his knees and he prays, something that he did three times a day, every day. This is his foundational character trait. It's his faith in God. And that's what these men used to accuse Daniel and that's how he ended up in the den. And in a miraculous display of God's power, Daniel didn't die. He sent an angel to close the mouths of the lions and he was released completely unharmed. The king in turn threw Daniel's accusers into the lion's den and they were crushed to death before their feet even hit the, the ground. What this shows us is that when we stay right with God, he protects us, he saves us and he delivers us. He does this when we're surrendered and submitted under his authority, under his ways. When all this is going on from the outside, people see circumstances and they see us as we travel through these circumstances and they could see what Daniel was doing. Character gets noticed. And in Daniel's case, it becomes a testimony that points to God. The king that Daniel was serving at the time was King Darius, and King Darius responds this way. Having witnessed this miraculous work of God, he writes to all the people in the kingdom and he says, may you have great success. I order people in every part of the kingdom to respect and honour Daniel's God. He is the living God. He will live forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His rule will never end. He has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel had success while Darius was king. While serving 
pagan kings, Daniel was noticed because of his exceptional qualities. He was highly successful. He rose to become one of the most influential leaders in the kingdoms that he lived through, trusted by earthly kings, given responsibility and jurisdiction in these kingdoms. But he was also trusted by God, who had more for Daniel to do in his lifetime. By day, Daniel served these earthly kings. And somewhere in his spare time, and you mentioned this in your 70s, Daniel was in his 80s, Daniel wrote down some of the most significant prophecy in the Bible. God trusted Daniel to the extent that he was prepared to lay out God's grand plan right there in a dream and a vision to Daniel, in dreams and visions to Daniel. He laid out his whole plan for God's kingdom. Daniel prophesied the rise and fall of kings and kingdoms, prophecies that that take us from the time of Nebuchadnezzar through other mighty kingdoms in in the past through to Jesus to now, beyond, to the end times where God's kingdom will reign forever. It's not bad for a day's work walking in the path of faith and integrity. Can you say? I was just so inspired and encouraged by my reading in Daniel is why I chose to share and showcase Daniel's character with you today. Daniel's life is one that is anchored in uncompromising faith. He was a person who rose to success in the face of significant mountains. Captivity, exile, death, death again. There are only just two or three of the stories from Daniel's life. He flowed with good character, godly wisdom, influence, humility, prayerfulness and courage. These same godly qualities are within all of us. It's called our divine nature. Oswald Chambers defined character for the believer this way. He said, the true expression of Christian character is not good doing, but it is God-likeness. In Christ, we've been given a divine nature. Peter speaks of it in, in 2 Peter 1, where he says his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. He has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. It is ours. It's there for the taking. Our mountains that we go through in life, they don't reveal, they don't make us who we are. They just reveal the character that is there in us. And they grant us the opportunity to grow and to strengthen those qualities. Pursue the divine nature. Align yourself with God. Choose those vegetables and water. Allow God to bring you success. We know what God-likeness is because God gave us Jesus and he sent Jesus to reveal the Father so we would know what God is like. You want to know how to be more God-like? Look at Jesus. He's the greatest example and the highest standard of character to ever walk this earth. 
We've seen a lot in Daniel today, but Jesus is our ultimate. So keep on developing your Christ-like character. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for the life of Daniel, for his stories, for what it shows about what you can do in us. Father God, we praise you and we thank you for what you did in his life and how that is still playing out today, Lord. We thank you that you have given each of us as believers a divine nature. Father God, I pray that we'll be able to tap into that divine nature further, that you will show us as we scale the mountains that we face in life, those character traits that you have placed so beautifully within us. We thank you that you give us what we need as we go and that we're ready and we're placed for success when the next mountain comes along. Give us some more strength today, Lord. Show us each more of that divine nature in us. Thank you, God, for your protection over us as we go through life's mountains. Thank you that you save us and that you deliver us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.